No, I, I can barely hear you. Seriously? Oh, yeah. there we go. What hey. about now? Ow, ow. Jeez. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I guess the microphone was turned off. I didn't think the off button... I didn't think the off button did anything because the light stays on, but there we go. It's amazing you could hear me at all I, I because it was off. I don't know how I could hear you, but it was like, yeah, yo, you there? It's like, no. <laughs> and, and then I, I had uh, I had you potted up. I was like, is he just very quiet? And it's like, yo, can you hear me? <laughs> like, ah. Uh, okay. Well, I'm awake now, at least. <laughs> I thought you, um, yeah, I was wondering why you didn't say anything after I made my old man sitting down noise. I, I didn't even hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I was that... like, oh my gosh. I was like, I'm grunting more and more. That was like, that was like a full on. I was like, ah, <laughs> like when I sat down, I like, oh boy. I don't know what's worse, grunting while you're sitting down or grunting while getting up. <laughs> well, you... we'll see when I stand up. You've got to, you've got to like take a breath beforehand. Like, oh, here we go. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Decide if it's worth it. Is it worth it to even stand up, or can I just... You know, maybe I'll just stay down here for the rest of my life. Yeah, maybe I'll just do that. Uh, All right, ready to get going? (laughs) Yeah, let's start. All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 6, Episode 19, The Doodle. Uh, But before that, we do have um, a good amount of stuff to go over from the previous episode, The Jimmy. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First of all, I wanted to know if uh, AMCA, the Able Mentally Challenged Adults, is a real organization. It is not. Not Uh, Oh, damn. Okay. When you Google AMCA, you'll find the American Medical Certification Association, the American Mosquito Control Association, the Antique Motorcycle Club of America. (laughs) But even Googling able able mentally challenged adults just brings up Seinfeld results. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Uh, Kramer mentions George Will during a conversation with Jerry, George, and Elaine about men finding other men attractive. Jerry says he can't find beauty in a man. Kramer says, I'll tell you who's an attractive man. George Will. Elaine is like, well, he is smart. Kramer says, no, no, I don't find him all that bright. Uh, we, we both had no idea who George Will uh, is. He's yeah. still alive. He's a 79-year-old American libertarian conservative political commentator, and he writes regular columns for the Washington Post and provides commentary for NBC News and MSNBC. And the crazy coincidence of the universe this week is that I had a friend share a column that he wrote for the Washington Post, and they were like, oh, here's George Will's latest piece, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, George, how crazy that I'd never either never heard that guy's name or at least never noticed it, and now there it is, like on my Facebook feed, just the weirdest (laughs) thing. Um, In 1986, the Wall Street Journal called him perhaps the most powerful journalist in America. I don't know why. Hmm. He won the Pulitzer Prize for commentary in 77. Uh, However, he has been back in the news, and and this column that um, he's been very critical of the current state of the Republican Party, of which he was a member for a long time. But in June of 2016, citing his disapproval with Trump specifically, he left the Republican Party and is registered as an unaffiliated voter now. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's been one of the, the, I guess, as far as I can tell, one of the loudest conservative voices that are anti-Trump uh, administration. Hmm. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, he, interesting, though, uh, more uh, crossover with the Seinfeld universe, though. He's referenced in a 1997 episode of Duckman. <laughs> so, of course, George, uh, George, uh, Jason Alexander plays Duckman. And I'm surprised that this didn't ring a bell with you, although it is latter day Simpsons. But in a 2006 Simpsons episode, The Monkey Suit, Lisa names George Will and Pope John Paul II as prominent conservatives who accept the theory of evolution. And Ralph Wiggum replies, the George Will. (laughs) (laughs) So that didn't ring a bell with me, but I know your your Simpsons references are always a little bit deeper than mine. So I don't know if that rang a bell with you. No, it didn't. Oh, my God. (laughs) Gee, that's great, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry asks about Tim Watley. Is this guy a dentist or Caligula? And we knew Caligula was a Roman emperor, but not much past that. He was the third Roman emperor, ruling from 37 to 41. Uh, and not a lot of sources about his reign have survived, but he's described as noble and moderate in his first six months. And then after that, 
that, the sources focus on cruelty, sadism, extravagance, sexual perversion, and present him as an insane tyrant. Uh, and now Jerry's reference for Caligula, and, and I guess a lot of people's, is probably the movie I was talking about, this 1979 erotic historical drama <laughs> focusing on the rise and fall of Caligula, which did star, I think I said Roddy McDowell, it's Malcolm McDowell. Okay. Caligula, yeah. But, I mean, so this was um, the only feature film ever produced by Penthouse, and producer huh. Bob Guccione, who I mentioned... <laughs> wanted to produce an explicit pornographic film with a feature film narrative and high production values. And so he cast Malcolm McDowell. Helen Mirren is in it. Peter O'Toole is in it. So, I mean, hmm. big, well-respected name actors are, are in this movie. Were, were they all, like, in the sex scenes? I don't... I, I, uh, full full disclosure, I have seen a little bit of this movie. <laughs> I have not seen a lot of it. Where, you where did you watch this? Up, where, where can you watch this? I, I'm, is it on Pornhub or something? <laughs> it's got to be up there somewhere. I didn't want no, the I watched it in high school. Oh my so like, god, of course yeah. you did. So we're talking 144288 <laughs> kilobyte per second dial up internet era. <laughs> And I, I just had I had a buddy who would get his hands on adult films and, and stuff like that. And and so this is one of the ones that he, you know, got his hands on. And we watched a little bit of it. And, you know, it's it, it's too it is too heady. I mean, as as probably cheap and tawdry as it is, if I were to go back now and, and, and look at it as someone who has like a film studies minor or whatever and go, you know, like. But I just I was just interested in naked bodies in high school. So I wasn't <laughs> interested in like in, in anything regarding the filmmaking or whatever. So yeah. I don't remember. I didn't even know who Helen Mir was at that point you know <laughs> in, in 20 years after the movie came out or whatever or peter o'toole i think i recognize malcolm mcdowell what would he have been in i don't know so probably they were probably in scenes where sex was taking place i'm mm -hmm. guessing that helen mirren uh, i don't know i don't know anything about it but bob <laughs> did cast penthouse pets as extras in unsimulated sex scenes so oh, i guess actual sex scenes that were filmed during post-production by himself and, and the director the film alienated audience with explicit sex and violence, but despite negative reviews, is considered a cult classic. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the term unsimulated sex scenes. So, you know, just straight pounding. I know. It's like it's so confusing, like unsimulated. Okay, simulated would be fake. Unsimulated. What a weird way to say real. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, it's unsimulated. Wait, hang on. I got to <laughs> wrap my mind around that. Um, so Mel Torme, we just wanted to do, I don't know why, we just a, just a, a short, a shallow dive on Mel Torme. Mm -hmm. he, he passed away in 1999 at the age of 73. Of course, nicknamed The Velvet Fog. And, oh, his big signature song is probably kind of odd because he wrote the music and co-wrote the lyrics to the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Really? Yeah. He he didn't he didn't sing it though, did he? Well, he he yeah he he has sung it, and that's probably if you were going to point out a signature song, that's probably it. You know, like everybody had their like uh, who was oh Tony Bennett was a I left my heart in San Francisco. Uh, Frank Sinatra would be New York, New York. Everybody kind of had these songs that they even though they were from the Great American Songbook, they were the ones that like oh they do the best version. Mm -hmm. And so I think Mel Torme's is the Christmas song. Huh. Okay, it's it's Oddly weird that enough. it's not another uh, location based track. Although he <laughs> he might have a song called like I really like Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's just it's just buried deep in his in his discography. Yeah, I did see that some other signature songs of his were Careless Hands again. Blue Moon. These are none of the songs I was trying to think of last week, and maybe I just don't know any Mel Torme songs because I looked at a lot of his discography and I was like, all right, I, I don't, I don't recognize the song <laughs> that I was trying to think of, so uh, I can't find it. But here's another Seinfeld crossover event. One of his signature songs, according to Google, is "It's a Most Unusual Day," which Seinfeld fans heard at the beginning of this current season we're on right now, season six, "The Chaperone," hmm. which is what uh, Jerry's date sings when Kramer convinces, oh, when her birds die, and Kramer convinces her to to go out and sing a song. It's a most unusual day. <laughs> Oh yeah. my God! We're 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 opening and almost closing the season with uh, <laughs> with uh, some oh my God some super timely references here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, these are these just some trivia from the uh, of uh, the Jimmy guest star Brian Cranston came up with the idea of Doctor Watley taking a hit of the nitrous oxide before giving it to Jerry, which is one of the most hilarious gags in the whole show. And casting for Watley's office ladies specifically called for actresses with experience in nude modeling to add realism to a deleted scene in which Kramer and Jerry recognize one of the hygienists in a nude photo in penthouse. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, so, so like, what what would they have done with this scene? It's not like they could have shown this like on NBC <laughs> in prime time. Maybe they like holding up the magazine and they're just look. We get their reaction to seeing the picture and then. <laughs> but, but, I don't know. But like. It, they're not even showing the magazine. So why Why do they need someone? What, what, did they take a photo of this girl? Well, Cheryl is played by Allison Armitage. And under the pseudonym Brittany York, Armitage was Playboy's Playmate of the Month, October 1990. Oh, my Lord. The receptionist is played by Elin Carter, or maybe it's Ellen, but it's spelled E-L-A-N. Okay. I don't know. She was Playboy Magazine's Playmate of the Month, June 1994. Jesus. So they did, they hired actresses with experience in nude modeling, and so presumably they could have found one of these pictures and maybe just showed it from the neck up or something, and then, you know, that, I, I don't know how the scene would have been pulled off, but <laughs> yeah, but for sure that, that uh, and I kind of like that little detail, because it does add a little, a little unspoken something to the, to those scenes, you know? I, I thought the receptionist was like super attractive. You know, I did notice that. I was like, "Wow," you know. Yeah, I, that's uh, that's just such a weird, uh, like hidden detail. Yeah, it's almost like set design. You know, I mean, I know they had they had speak. Well, the the receptionist had a line. I don't know if the I don't think the she hygienist did. I don't think she did. Yeah. But so I, I just like it is like putting a little it's like Superman on the bookshelf. You yeah, know? it's like, true. oh, look at that. I I noticed that, you know, it's just something that that's not pointed out. Uh, so I I that's that's uh, commitment to set design, I think. <laughs> Not to take anything away from these ladies and their acting abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Torme's performance of When You're Smiling, which we both found <laughs> oh. a slog, uh, was done in a single take before a live studio audience. Torme's acting in the episode, I guess, was so convincing that many who watched it, including Jason Alexander, thought that Torme had not been fully briefed on the plot and was under the mistaken impression that actor Michael Richards was really mentally challenged. But oh. in reality, <laughs> Mel Torme and Michael Richards... Had already become acquainted with each other before oh, filming okay. the episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. That would be another weird twist to this whole thing. Like, don't hey, no, nobody tell Mel. And while Kramer is making fun of the way mentally challenged people act, he'll think it's real. We'll play him for a fool too. Oh you know? good lord! Like, let's make this episode as mean as possible to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Velvet Fog. <laughs> oh my god, he's only got a few years left. Let's uh, yeah. let's give him a heart attack while we're at it. <laughs> Um, okay, I do have a couple of follow-ups, too, from previous episodes. Okay, Going okay. back to, um, what was the Doorman episode called? That wasn't called The Doorman. Yeah, it was called The Doorman. Oh, it was called The Doorman? Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, Larry Miller, you recognized that he was in the Disney show Shake It Up, because um, I was like, oh, he has to have been in a Disney show, and you, you caught up. But I noticed he was in another Disney show when I was looking at his, I, or his page. He was in a 2013 episode of Live and Maddie as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. Um, okay. And here's a really interesting one. We did not give Wally Stott his full due last week in the Doorman episode. While Kramer and Frank are trying on the bro, they're listening to the song, Anyone for Cha-Cha-Cha by Wally Stott. Mm -hmm. So I, I looked up Wally Stott and Wikipedia sent me to the Wikipedia page. So Wally Stott was an English composer and conductor who became a familiar household name to BBC radio listeners in the 1950s. He stepped back from music and film industry between 1970 and 1972 in order privately to undergo gender transition at the age of 46. Wow. Okay. Yeah. She began publicly living as a woman, Angela Morley, in 1972, continued to work in music. Um, she got two Academy Awards. She, let me see. She won. No, she was nominated for two Academy Awards, then started working on American television soundtracks like D Dynasty, Dallas, Wonder Woman. She was nominated six times for Emmy Awards for composing and won three times for music direction. Get this. Morley collaborated with John Williams throughout the 70s and 80s, huh. arranging for the Boston Pops Orchestra under Williams' direction, working on films like Star Wars, Superman, The Empire Strikes Back, E.T., <laughs> Hook. Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and Schindler's List. No. Which, what? another interesting crossover, Jerry made out during. No <laughs> fucking way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, though in an uncredited capacity. So it sounds like Angela Morley was like an assistant or something who kind of like, you know, would, would write up sheet music or whatever yeah. for John Williams. So um, Morley died in Scottsdale, Arizona in 2009 at the age of 84. And this is all doubly interesting because... It adds an entirely new layer once you realized Angela Morley's music was used in an episode about Frank wearing a female-associated undergarment and and um, Estelle accusing him of being a transvestite and so on and so forth. Oh so you've got to wonder, did they know that? Was this just a song they pulled out of the library and they're like, whatever, that's fine? Or was someone like, hey, maybe we should use the first transgender uh, 
nominated for an Academy Award music in this episode about, you know, like, was this on purpose? My God. I, <laughs> I don't know. I think we just stumbled onto something that we, we, we got to have, like, an expert answer. Yeah. Well, yeah we, like, this we, is we something need, we, we need to hear Larry, directly from we need to have, Yeah, we need, like, Larry David or, <laughs> or Jonathan Wolf to answer this, you know? Yeah. Was it just like in and it was like the cheapest free piece of music in NBC's library of of music? Or was it like, hey, let's really seek out. Oh, Angela Morley. Of course. Yeah. Well, let's play this song Good when she Lord. was known as Wally Stott. And that, <laughs> yeah, that is that is the deepest of deep cuts. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. That's why I had to revisit Wally Stott. Anyone <laughs> for cha cha cha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Pretty crazy. All right, and th- that's all I have, I think. Okay, uh, well, here, uh, I actually have a little bit, jumping back to the Jimmy, uh, I, I threw this question up last week on on Twitter and on my, my personal Facebook and Instagram because I wanted to know, uh, <laughs> putting your fandom aside, what do you think is the worst episode of Seinfeld ever? <laughs> and Because uh, we, we dropped a deuce last week, I feel like. <laughs> Uh, but we, we got some we got some really interesting responses. Uh, oh. A couple of the guys from Idiotville, uh, the the Idiotville podcast replied. Uh, Ted says probably the Chinese restaurant where they wait for a table the whole episode. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, but that one, who? Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Dill says the series finale was self indulgent uh. and overlong. Uh, Joey Bag Donuts says when Susan dies, the baby shower, male unbonding, the dog, and nah. and the finale, of course. Gerald says worst episode of Seinfeld is season one, the, the whole season. <laughs> uh, These Ma- are all great answers. Manuel says the parking lot one. Mikey says huh. the finale. Uh, Mark says the Chinese restaurant, another Chinese restaurant one. And at Seinfeld guy says, I don't like the clip shows. I take any episode over a clip show any day. <laughs> and Tim, you're going to love this one. Jordan says all of them. What? All of them. Every episode is the worst episode of Seinfeld. Who is this Jordan? Is it someone I know? No, 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 no. It's, oh, uh, it's, it's a girl I went to high school with. Oh, I was like, I would never associate <laughs> it with someone like that. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, Oh wow, that's a that's a hot take. <laughs> oh boy, has she even seen any? Or is she like you? She made it all of her life before, and and basically had to be forced to watch them, you know, <laughs> or would be anyway. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's there's one more. Uh, Matt says, "I hate the one where Kramer's trying to hook up that illegal TV cable. They used to play that episode constantly when I was a kid, and I hate it." <laughs> We've seen that one, right? I think so. Yeah, that was pretty early yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. I, I just remember uh, Donald Logue, who's an actor. Well, I thought it was Donald Logue, but I think it turned out not to be. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> All right, it's tough for me to pick a worst episode, though, just as much as it is tough for me to pick a best episode. You know, it was after it, it was only after this episode that I'm like, you know, I haven't starred an episode in a long time. I wonder if I'm because I but I'm enjoying them all, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm laughing and having a good time. And, like, I hate ranking stuff like that because I feel like just it's so you know, it's so in concrete. I'm like, well, once I say this, I can't take it back and I can't like anything else. You know, <laughs> like I, I put, I put way too much pressure on myself to name something the best or the worst, you know, it, as opposed to, uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron Mook, uh, he's always doing like album of the year lists yeah, and like, he'll, he'll take like weeks, sometimes months to like edit it and like make it his definitive list, you know? Yeah. And, and like, he'll, he'll finally push out like his album of the year for like, the, the previous year in like March, it, 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 he puts that much work into his lists, you know. See, see, I put that much pressure on myself, but I refuse to put that much work on my, <laughs> myself. <laughs> That's the difference there. Yeah. So, like, w- when you tell somebody you have a Seinfeld podcast, uh, people are always to me like, "Oh, what's your favorite episode?" I'm like, "I don't know. I, I just that's like saying who's your favorite child." You know, it changes every day. I do have a favorite, but it changes all the time. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I, I, I get what you are saying with having a favorite child. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you have any other news or anything? 
I don't believe so. Okay, so if you have never listened to us before, I've never seen these episodes before. I'm watching them for the first time ever. Tim has seen all of these episodes before, but never in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss something, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at nohugging or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, and we will send you a no-hugging, no-learning holographic sticker free of charge if you just send us your mailing address. You can also give us a five-star rating on any other app. We just also ask that you send us a screenshot. With that being said, Season 6, Episode 19, The Doodle, original air date, April 6th, 1995. I was two years, three months, and 17 days old. Uh, and if you are looking in TV Guide that night, or no, if you count every episode we have left, including this one, we have 71 episodes before we become a... Uh... <laughs> mm. <laughs> hmm. Has this bit run its course? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can think of is Cal- Caligula. Something about Caligula. <laughs> we become a feature-length film pornographic movie review podcast it's one episode long and that's it (laughs) no there's got to be more movies like caligula (laughs) you know Um, uh side rant uh, not not even rant uh aaron myself and one of our friends back in college had probably the worst idea for a podcast uh we were gonna start it uh and call it porncast where It, we we publish the episode with the link to just something on Pornhub. Like it's it's a parody movie, and we just provide oh. commentary to that. <laughs> I kind of like that because those <laughs> those parodies always you know they'll pique your interest because they've done yeah they, it, they pick interesting properties to parody and you're like wow but I'm not gonna watch it, it you know yeah it, it, it's not just gonna be like oh what you doing step bro it's not gonna yeah. be it's not gonna be that stuff it's gonna be like this ain't Batman triple X or yeah, yeah. Or, or the Simpsons one yeah or like uh, <laughs> or uh, American Dong instead of American Dad. <laughs> I was like, that could be anything. Well, I, I don't know why I first thought American Sniper. I was like, oh, is that the porn parody of American Sniper? Oh, my God. No, American Sniper would be like... Uh, uh, um, It'd be American Piper. Oh, my God. American Piper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it's no. not like dong and dad sound. I mean, they have the D in common, but it's still Please. a stretch. It's you th- still you, a walk. You think people are putting that much work into <laughs> porn parody names? No, because most of them are, like you said, this ain't The Simpsons, or this ain't Batman, or this ain't, you know, whatever. <laughs> the, the, there are very few, like, good pun porn names anymore. <laughs> a a yeah. lot of them are, this ain't blank triple X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think, um, just to extend the, the bit even further... Um, that we should it should be like um let me see theatrically released big budget movies that contained unsimulated sex <laughs> i like and it. that's the podcast unsimulated sex the- that's the name oh good <laughs> lord oh no or maybe just unsimulated unstimulated what about that there's so many options <laughs> <laughs> that 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 sounds like we're giving a sex ed talk. Unstimulated, <laughs> unsimulated, and unstimulated. Oh my god! It, it's uh, it's unstimulated, but the T is in parentheses. Yes, we did it, everyone! I can't wait till this this Seinfeld podcast is over, so we can finally get to unstimulated. Oh my god! Uh, okay, well, if you're looking at TV Guide the night of April 6, 1995, you are gonna see George is upset by a girlfriend's artistic rendering of him. Uh, semicolon Jerry's flea-infested apartment forces his parents into Elaine's luxury hotel suite. I kind of like it. We'll see at the end if it holds up. Uh, so we start with the stand-up bit as usual, and this is about pest control, about how exterminators are kind of. Uh, it's kind of a misnomer because they can't really get rid of them. All they can do is relocate them. They're more like pest realtors, which I thought was funny. You know, they're like, all they can do is force them into your neighbor's house, which is true. You know, make your house the less attractive option and they got to go somewhere. So I thought that was funny. He kind of played a realtor showing a different house to, he's like, as you can see, there's lots of crumbs. They go to bed early. So you pretty much have your run of the place. Uh, that was, that was kind of funny little role playing there. And he says, you know, insects are so hated. Even animal rights organizations don't care 
about killing them, which uh, was also a pretty good point. I wonder if there is anybody who's like, save the mosquitoes or something like that, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody. Yeah, I know that bees are very, you know, protected and cared for by uh, people like that just because they're disappearing and they're such a big part of the ecosystem. But yeah, I don't know anybody <laughs> who'd be like, spiders, we must save the spiders. Not me. Kill them, I say. Uh, so we open at Papardella, a restaurant that we've been to several times. This must be like Jerry and George take dates here all the time. Like this must be, yeah. Th- this is solid like, first date place. Aside from Mendy's, this is like the nice restaurant. Yeah, yeah, it must be. I mean, they're, they're like, oh, first date, got to go to Papardella. Mm-hmm. You know, you know it, bro. Even a double date. <laughs> so George is there. We get names right away. This is great. George is there with Paula, and they met because of Elaine. They're in the same drawing class. Oh, and by the way, I have to mention right up top. Paula is Miss DeGronmont from Season 5, Episode 4, The Sniffing Accountant, the one yeah. that George tried. And she's, of course, from the Drew Carey show as well. But George tried the trick of, like, picking a little piece of something off of the shoulder. And, like, because that's what Jake Jarmel did to pick up Elaine. That's so all the guys right. try it yeah. in that episode. And George tries it with her. He scores the bra uh, salesman job. But when he does that to Mr. Gronmont, who owns the company with her dad, I guess, it's the family company anyway. <laughs> Marcus has to fire George or he gets fired. So that's what happens there. But I'm like, this is the first time I've noticed a double dipping actress like mm-hmm. this. Do you, do you know who this is? Uh, besides the besides the Drew Carey show, I didn't recognize her from anything else. Well, her name is Krista Miller, and yeah. she also played Jordan in Scrubs. And, Chris, oh, yeah. and Krista Miller was the very first Maxim Magazine cover girl. Ted, I bought that issue of Maxim Magazine, and I still have it somewhere. Do you really? Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> I remember I was about to... I always like to buy magazines before I went on like a school field trip, and I was going to... God, where was it? Did you, buy, did you buy Maxim to make other kids think you were cool? No, nobody knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you why I bought it. The first issue came with a CD, and that CD had my favorite song on it, which was... The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, The Impression I Get. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I have that CD somewhere, too. Like, I, I remember going, looking up. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have the first issue of Maxim. It's in near mint condition. I still have the CD. That's in perfect condition. I'm like, I bet I'm sitting on a million dollars. And I went and looked and like, everybody has that. It's worth like five bucks. You know, it's like it's not exactly TV guide collecting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Although, like, if uh, if you were to have her sign that, it would probably be worth a little bit more money. True, true. Yeah, so I'm I'm holding on to I don't know where it is. Maybe I've maybe I've finally actually thrown it out, but I <laughs> I did have it for a long time. Um and the C- the CD did have a lot of good stuff on it. It had another song by Republica which was really good hmm. and I forget, but I bought it because I was like, well, I don't want to buy the Mighty Mighty Boston CD, but I do, you know, I can get this CD for 5 bucks and it has the impression I get on it. So, <laughs> win-win. You know that song? I, I don't I don't oh, think I do. I probably I've probably heard it. But, yeah. but but by name, I it's not ringing any bells. Oh, man. It was like the it, it ushered in like the third wave of ska in the <laughs> early 90s or the mid 90s. Ted. Oh, no. Awesome. How could I forget the third wave of ska? <laughs> Crucify me. Oh, my gosh. It brought us uh, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Real Big Fish. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, used to, I used to be kind of into ska in high school, and now it's just like the most e- easily parodied style of music. It was <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. J- just like someone like singing like... Bah, 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 bah. Oh, yeah. and don't forget the trumpet. Like, get the fuck out of here. But I love, I don't know if you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, there's a great, uh, um, when, what's his name? Jake is like, there's some cutaway that's classic where he's like, Ska is my life and I will always love Ska. And he like starts skanking on during this news interview or something. I, 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 will, I will say, I do still find myself going back and listening to some Aquabats. The Aquabats, how could I forget? Oh my gosh. Super <laughs> rad, I loved that song. God, uh, it, I, I think um, what was uh, uh, was it Pizza Party? I think Pizza Party is like the track I I, I find myself still going back and listening to. Or no 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 no. Um, Fashion Zombies was my ringtone for so long. Yeah, the Aquabats were sick. There's no doubt about it. But I you know I was joking about Scott with somebody else, and I was like, let me put on that Real Big Fish album that I loved so much. Um, Why do they rock so hard? And the second I put it on, like I was grinning from ear to ear it's like part of it was like funny on an ironic level i'm like oh my gosh this is so bad but i was like (laughs) but it was 
it, it was like the CD that it was con- on constant loop my senior year. And so I just like was immediately brought back to that era of my life. And the, just the memories came flooding. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Like I was listening to it on, I think, public transportation. And I was like, just just grinning and laughing like an idiot, like out loud. I was like, I couldn't help it. It was just amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, has nothing to do with the episode. Nope, not at all. <laughs> Holy crap, we are off on something today. Krista Miller, br- Krista Miller brought us to the third wave of ska in 95. Um, so, all right. Well, so Jerry's date is eating pecans and spitting them out on her plate, which Jerry doesn't notice. He picks one up and eats one. And then he's disgusted when George tells him what he just ate. And Shelly is her name. Look at this. Paula and Shelly. We meet them wow. right off the bat. All right. Uh, she's upset after Jerry freaks out and like really kind of lays into her, like uh, like yells at her for doing what she was doing, even though it was really his fault for not paying attention. <laughs> um, and I love I this was my first big laugh of the episode. And it came like two minutes in when they're all getting up to leave because that kind of puts a damper on the whole evening. George is like, all right, Jerry, uh, be careful out there. There's a lot of nuts out there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the sound I made. I was like, ha. <laughs> <laughs> it's not often that that George sees Jerry like this. You know, Jerry just got kind of told off by Shelly. And so Jerry's in trouble. And George, for once, is like riding high, you know. So I, I like that he he dug the knife in, as Jerry sometimes does to George. You know, it's great when he gets a chance to do that. As everyone is leaving, Jerry... Uh, I'm sorry, George picks up a napkin that Paula was doodling on, and it gives him pause. He does not like what he sees, apparently. Mm-hmm. And at Monk's, we learn it's because the doodle of him is grotesque. George says it's grotesque. Jerry says it's an affectionate caricature. Um, what I think is that Paula sucks as an artist. Yeah, it might just be that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if we were supposed to see this in HD or if it was supposed to be kind of blurry or whatever back in the days of, you know, console <laughs> yeah. TVs. But it, it, it literally looks like a third grader drew this. Yeah, like this is my level of artwork and I and I suck as an artist. Like I can't draw, <laughs> but it's like a circle face and weird glasses and a dumb mustache <laughs> and like how George even thought that that was him. I, I totally agree with, I think, Elaine's first reading. She comes in and she looks at it and she's like, what's this? She didn't know it was supposed to be George. No. It looks nothing like him. It could have just been a, a doodle. And and I think we should have gotten some closure on that, whether or not it was actually him. <laughs> you know, I think it, it would have been great at the end of the episode if Paula was like, that that wasn't you or, or it definitely was or something. Because I say the jury's still out. Hmm. But Elaine has been recommended for a job at Viking Press. And El- Elaine told them that she's from out of town. So she could stay in Viking Press's two-bedroom suite that they have at the Plaza. Hmm. Yeah. Have we have we been in the Plaza Hotel yet? I don't think so. Okay. It it sounded familiar, but also I know that there's just a bunch of different like hotels that they mention, like yeah. like one off, you know. Yeah, yeah. We see a lot of hotel exteriors and stuff, but I, I think this is the first time we've been to the Plaza. Uh, Elaine, uh, see, Elaine picks it up. And she thinks the doodle is Mr. Magoo, but she cracks up when Jerry tells her it's George. So you you sounded like you were kind of leaning on the the on the side that this is she was definitely doodling George. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I, I it it does kind of look like George. Like it's got like hair on the sides. It's got glasses. Yeah. His face is completely oh round. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. But it's the mustache that I was like, why? Was there a mustache? It looked like like a mustache. Maybe it was a big black mouth. Like maybe it was a big open, (laughs) but it wasn't a big open mouth. It'd be like a rectangular open mouth. I don't know. It just, that's why I'm like, I don't think we were meant to see it as clearly as we can now. Maybe. I think it was just meant to be kind of like a blurry black blob on a white sheet of paper and like, look at what she thinks of me. But you could really, you know, dissect each and every element of this picture if you wanted to. Um, so George wants Elaine to, in, in the next drawing class, to find out if she likes him. And they start talking kind of like they're in high school. And Jerry's line to end this whole scene is, well, if you and if you and Patsy are done scheming, I have to go or whatever. And I think that's a reference to Happy Days. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I care enough to look it up next week, but maybe I will. Uh I think Potsy was a character on that show. So in Jerry's apartment, Kramer barges in because the Mackinac peaches are in. Uh, by the way, also Superman is on the fridge and the bookshelf mm-hmm. still. Um, and the Mackinac peaches are from Oregon. They're only ripe for two weeks out of the year. And Kramer is just, uh, it's like there's a circus in his mouth, he says. <laughs> yeah, he, and, he, he, split yeah. A, he split a case with Newman 
So, yeah. so they, I, I'm guessing they just divided them down the middle, right? Seems like it. Yeah, that'd be my guess. Yeah, he, he also says that it is like the Aurora Borealis. And <laughs> unlike Seymour Skinner, Kramer is offering the Aurora Borealis experience. Yes. <laughs> In Jerry's kitchen. In Jerry's kitchen. <laughs> uh, Jerry has fleas, by the way, and he finds out right as his parents show up for a visit uh, over at the new school for social research which is still there it had huh. a, it had a 65 on the on the building which is an address i'm guessing but i don't know where exactly it is but the new school for social research now is a grad program within the new school which was called <laughs> the new school for social Re- social research until 1997. This is a very big, famous private university up hmm. in, like right in the heart of the city, like on the Upper West Side, I think. Yeah, so the new school was called the New School for Social Research at this point, but now that school is just a grad school within the new school. Oh, Does okay. that make sense? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And in fact, from 97 to 05, it was called New School University, but then in 05, <laughs> it's called the New School, and it's still called the New School. Why do you need school and university in your name? Like, isn't That's that... A good question. Isn't that kind of redundant? Yeah, it should have been called College School University. Well, I remember, I remember, like uh, late at night. There's always like a I don't even know if it's still airing, but there's an ad for a college called University of Maryland University College. I'm, I'm like, what? What is that real? University <laughs> like, of Maryland. Yeah, UMUC. <laughs> this can't be real, right? This can't be like a. A, a normal school. It's a for-profit scheme, right? <laughs> oh, well, any college that advertises across the country on late night TV is a, is a money-making <laughs> scheme. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, that, I will answer your question with no, without knowing anything about UM, whatever it was, UMUC? UMUC, University of Maryland, University College. <sighs> See, I know there's like a college station or, or something like that where the University of Maryland is. I think that's College Station Maryland or something like that, but... But that, so that may be where they got the name college from. I don't know. Uh, let me see. Where am I? Oh, yeah. So we're at the New School for Social Research. And Elaine and Paula are taking a drawing class. And they have a very high school style conversation. Elaine's even like chomping gum like a valley girl, whether or not Paula likes George or whether she likes likes him. And Paula's like, oh, I really, you know, I like, like him. Looks don't matter. Looks aren't that important to me, she said. And just to drive the bit home, Elaine is forced by the professor of the drawing class to spit out her gum. Mm -hmm. Uh, Up in Jerry's apartment, uh, the exterminator is, uh, says, confirms that Jerry has fleas. And Jerry still has no idea how he would have gotten fleas. He doesn't have a dog. I love the exterminator's deadpan line. I don't explain him, Mr. Seinfeld. I just exterminate him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I like that actor. Um, and, and they have to seal it up for 48 hours so they can fog the apartments. The only way to get rid of the fleas. But what does Jerry do with his parents who are in town now? They won't let Jerry pay for a hotel. And if they won't, and if they pay one, it's going to be some dump, Jerry says. So he convinces Elaine to give them her room at the plaza so his parents can stay there. And I love that little, like, just bleep, 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 bleep. And she's like, no, 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 Until finally she's like, okay. <laughs> uh, I thought that was a fun little interaction with them. Uh, meanwhile, Jerry will maybe stay with Shelly, although she's still kind of upset about the whole pecan incident. And Jerry has a package for Elaine that was sent to Jerry's parents' house. They brought it up with them. And it was sent there because Elaine gave Viking his parents' address so that she could stay at the suite as an out-of-town interviewee. Mm. Yeah, and she she says, eh, it's just company materials, right? Which is weird that, like, she's getting ready for the interview, but it, she's just totally not willing or, or totally not interested in any of the materials they sent her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's just some, yeah, just some information about the if, company. If you're interviewing what? for a job, wouldn't you want to make sure that you're prepared for the yeah. interview? Yeah, it's, whatever's it's, in there is something you have to know. They're yeah. going to assume you know. <laughs> they're yeah. they're going to assume you at least looked at it, you know? Yeah, which is not unreasonable <laughs> of them <laughs> or of you to have done that. Uh, yeah, so she's not worried about it. I guess she's like, what? They, you know, it's for an editor job. That's what I do. I know all about it. I know everything. <laughs> uh, George comes in and he's ecstatic when he hears that Paula likes him until Elaine tells him about the part that 
looks aren't that important to her. And I thought this was a hilarious line that George said. I'd rather she hate me and think I was good looking. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, uh, man. Uh, at least then I could get somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that was such a funny line. Uh, early, oh, I, But I liked this line earlier, too, when Elaine is like, oh, George is going to be so relieved. And Jerry's like, He'll be relieved when he's dead. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> when he's dead, he'll be relieved. <laughs> Something like that. That that's that's so George as well. That's so George. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> be right back after these messages. <laughs> so at the Plaza Hotel, which is still at seven sixty eight Fifth Avenue, mm. it is a twenty story luxury hotel and uh, has condominiums as well. It opened in nineteen oh seven. It's on the U.S. Registry of Historic Places. It's a National Historic Landmark. And I definitely recognize it. It's funny. I always thought it was like, I always thought that building was the Dakota. I don't know if they look similar or not, but Hmm. I know the Dakota overlooks Central Park as well. And when I saw the picture of the plaza, I was like, oh, I always thought that was the Dakota, but it's the plaza. So, uh, and uh, it it ranges from, so it's it's closed right now because of the uh, COVID pandemic, which I found interesting because, you know, hotels, I know it's New York City, but still hotels are able to operate as far as i know but they're not opening until august and right now you can get a room at the plaza for five hundred dollars to twenty three hundred dollars a night oh man don't yeah. tell my wife that because she'll think that's a steal twenty three hundred yep wow um yeah for some reason the night of august 8th like that whole weekend is the the room rates jump from like a normal room rate's going to be like 800 bucks a night mm-hmm. so 500 is pretty low and then but for some reason this week of august 8th they're over two thousand dollars and i'm like what is going on there that weekend what could possibly be drawing people to new york in the middle of all of this where they can charge just that weekend twenty three hundred dollars a night i didn't i don't get it <laughs> No idea. Uh, But of course, the parents are super impressed with the room. It's beautiful. It is a two-room suite. It's awesome. Uh, Outside of Elaine's apartment, she is meeting Judy, the person who recommended her for the job at Viking. And she mentions to her, you know, definitely read that manuscript that they FedExed. And Elaine's like, what? And so she runs to track down Jerry, which she does. But Jerry lets her know we can't go into the apartment because it's being fumigated. They're in Jerry's hallway, and there's a sign on the front, big red sign with a skull and crossbones that says, (laughs) you know, dangerous, you know, do not enter or whatever it says on it. And so while Kramer and Elaine are talking about what to do about the manuscript, Kramer just walks out nonchalantly. Jerry Jerry and Elaine. It's the funniest Kramer entrance. What's that? You said while Kramer and Elaine are talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jerry and Elaine, yeah. Kramer exits just like... He just walks out in such a funny. It's the it's the antithesis of the <laughs> hilarious big Kramer entrance. It's the smallest Kramer entrance, but mm-hmm. it was one of the funniest because of how <laughs> how serious situation the situation is. And he's like, "Oh, hey, how you know? What's up? How's it going?" You know? <laughs> it has no idea at first. Yeah, he he even says like, "Oh, I thought you put that up so your parents wouldn't come in when you're with a girl." <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, oh, I put a Mackinac peach in your fridge. And Jerry's, you know, and Jerry thought that was kind of all he did. He was like, oh, don't worry. You're going to be fine. There's there's toxic gas in there. But you were in there, what, 10 minutes? And Kramer's like, an hour and a half. (laughs) What was he doing in there? What was he He in there doing for an hour and a half? He was reading a manuscript he couldn't put down. (laughs) That's what he tells Elaine. Yeah, he was. He was. uh, And Elaine um, was like, well, where'd you put the manuscript? And he says on the coffee table. And so she takes a deep breath, runs inside, frantically searches. It's not on any table. Um, she, you know, runs back in a couple times. She comes out. All she has are chunky wrappers that were underneath the couch. And Jerry realizes he knows. I, I know the chunky that left these chunkies. He realizes <laughs> Newman was in his apartment and gave him the fleas. And so up at Newman's apartment, which is this a new apartment for new man? Because previously we've seen Newman's apartment and it opens up into his main room like Jerry's does. But now he's standing in front of a wall with a picture on it, like Kramer's apartment. I mean, the laws of physics apparently don't <laughs> abide here. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I never knew that Newman was on the same floor as Jerry. I noticed that, too. Yeah, he's 5F and Jerry's 5A. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting, too. But I, I always like, thought like Newman was like on, on a different floor entirely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but he's on the same floor with Jerry and Kramer, for that matter. Um, yeah, because remember, well, no, I guess he could have been on the roof. I was like, remember in the early episodes when Larry David is still voicing Newman and he's going to jump off. I guess it's the roof. I was thinking it was his apartment, but 
Um, yeah, so I, I, but I found it weird too. I guess walls can appear and disappear at their will mm-hmm. in this apartment building. So now Newman has a wall that he, in, instead of opening up to his main room. Yeah, what walls are make believe? They only exist if you want them to. <laughs> S- same with hallways and and doorways and elevator shafts. <laughs> yeah, and Jerry accuses Newman and badgers him until he admits that he was the one who brought fleas into Jerry's apartment, and it, it has to do with the itching. And, C- and Newman can't help but itch and out on the street george and paula uh, are having a conversation and george is really upset about the fact that oh looks don't matter to you until he realizes what a boon that is and it's what he's wanted all along in <laughs> fact like i was kind of shocked that he was upset because that was the ad that he answered in the daily worker like looks not important or something like That's that you right know? yeah she, well she even drops the line you could drape yourself in velvet for all i care that's all george has ever wanted in life yes yeah, and I guess it. Uh, I guess he was focusing on the fact that you know looks don't matter, and and someone else. It's okay if like he thinks he's ugly, but mm-hmm. it's not okay if she thinks he's ugly. You know, yes. so that's what he was kind of <laughs> dwelling on. Like you know, I, oh looks don't matter. You think I'm ugly, and she's like, well, what, what you can do whatever you want. Yeah, so he realizes like this is what he's always wanted. Yeah, and uh, did you notice like this seemed like a long gap in this story? Like we we hadn't touched on anything with. Uh, George and Paula since the very beginning of the episode and this is past the the midway point yeah like yeah, it, the- it had been all like Elaine and Viking and and Jerry and Shelly to this point you know yeah in the apartment is when Elaine tells George about that but yeah then it's not until yeah we're at the plaza yeah. We're Ac- outside of Lane's apartment. We're at Newman's. We're at the plot. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think we skipped over one of the scenes we- where we were in the plaza. We did. We okay. did. You're right. So at the at the plaza in between the Paula scene and Newman's, Helen and Morty are there. And so are Leo and Nana. <laughs> and they are living it up. Uh, Morty is getting a $100 an hour massage. He's watching four pay-per-view movies at the same time. <laughs> what- They're drinking champagne. <laughs> what is... What is the perk of that? Like, is he just constantly flipping back and forth between <laughs> between each movie? I didn't know if it was that. That's probably more <laughs> accurate, but I thought it was like just a four-way split screen, and he's watching them <laughs> literally all at the same time. Um, uh, Uncle Leo uh, loves the nuts, the, the 80 <laughs> cents per nut macadamia nuts. Yeah, and uh, Nana is drinking champagne. <laughs> And she throws the glass just over her shoulder, and she's like, let the ha- chambermaid clean it up or something like that. And then <laughs> Helen calls her Nana, and I'm like, isn't that her mom? Is that her mom, or is that Morty's mom? Well, it's Leo's mom, too, and because Le- Leo's the one that put her in a home. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, you're right. Remember that, that story about the $50 or whatever? That was supposed to be given to Helen, and so Helen and Leo are a brother and sister, and that's their mom right and they call her Mm -hmm. nana well i'll tell you what whenever your parents are around your kids does your mom ever call your dad what your kids call them well what 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 do what do your kids call your mom and dad grandma and grandpa yeah does your mom ever call your dad grandpa yes uh, but i would say like the kids have to be a part of that interaction in some way like you were saying like mm-hmm. in the room or whatever the, i i would i would agree to that as well but also like i know that what my dad's grandkids my nieces and nephews all call him papa mm-hmm. so uh sometimes my stepmom will just call my dad papa just out of out of habit and that there's kids around more often than there are not Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just easier to call him that, I guess. So so yeah. maybe that's why she's calling her Nana. But then again, they live on the other side of the country. Yes, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it is a like it's just a force of habit thing like when we're visiting Jerry, you know, and he's been calling her Nana for 30 plus years, whatever it is. It's just stuck. You know, it's just a nickname that's stuck now rather than mom. I don't know. It, it would seem kind of <laughs> weird. Like if if I was in the same situation and I was like, grandma. Yeah. Like and no one was around. <laughs> yeah. But but, but then again, we've never heard Nana referred to as mom. We've only heard her referred to as Nana. Yeah. Did even Leo call her that? In yeah. The, uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah interesting. He, he called her. He's only really referred to her while on the phone with Jerry. And he said, you're Nana. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. So that's it, it can't be one of I mean, because seeing them all in the same room together makes me go, oh, Nana doesn't look that old. No. Compared to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> not not compared to Leo. She, she looks like yeah. she could be the older sister. 
that's what I was wondering too. I was like, all right, well, have we been misreading this all along, and that's actually <laughs> not a grandmother? Well, of no, to Jerry. Well, no, because remember in the episode where uh, where Leo was supposed to give the money to Helen, uh, she's talking about like, oh, your dad and everything. She's yeah. she's definitely their mother in okay. ca- in character. Yeah, just this one little like <laughs> nanosecond of screen time just made me question all of these yeah, fam- familial relationships. It's so weird. Yeah, Nana, like, <laughs> why would you call your mom that when nobody? Yeah, mom at, at least anyway or something uh, or ma probably ma. Yeah, that'd, that'd be I'd, I could see Helen saying it that way. Uh, so then we had that street scene that I uh, you know talked about earlier, and then <laughs> we're in monks. And Elaine is trying to get information about the manuscript from Kramer because he has read, if not all of it, uh, most of it, and she has to know as much about it as possible. And he's being super annoying and overly intellectual, uh, overly intellectual <laughs> about it. And Kramer, at the, meanwhile, gets his food at Monk's and he can't taste any of it. And it must have been the toxic gas. And so he runs out mm. of Monk's. But like um, in in dealing with Kramer being like super intellectual and and realizing like what she's having to do is yeah. is relay all this information from Kramer. Elaine orders a scotch on the rocks, <laughs> which I'm sure a diner is going to have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just a joke that the wait the, the waitress gave its full due. Like any joke you tell a waitress is going to get a. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> uh, yes, it's free, sir. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought it was interesting that Kramer is experiencing uh, symptoms of something, and the first symptom is not being able to taste anything, which is of course a very timely symptom to have right now, and would be thought of differently uh, as Seinfeld twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So it's a COVID symptom if, if people aren't following. <laughs> and one of the one of the early ones you might run into. Uh, over at Shelley's, she pretty much forces Jerry to brush his teeth with her toothbrush, <laughs> and he just can't bring himself to do it. Yeah, this was um, this was this was weird. It, it was uh, pretty like dominating. She because uh, Jerry forgot his toothbrush, and she's like, <laughs> oh here, yeah, use mine. Eh, I'll brush later. Brush now. Yeah, like, oh, I like okay. this, and I think I think the some like kind of out of place uh, stand up bit about a single hair being the most disgusting thing. Like, because he even starts that that stand up bit from a while back um, with you know you'll kiss someone on the head, but then when one single hair is on a piece of food, it's like ruined completely. <laughs> um, I think that really fits in with this because it's an interesting conversation, and like I think I forget George was like you know well, you've kissed her right, like yeah, but there is something gross about eating food that's been in someone else's mouth or using someone else's toothbrush that's that's different from that. I make that same disconnect in my mind. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you. Yeah. So I, I I thought it was really funny. I don't I don't like doing this either. <laughs> like yeah. I, I I I've I've been married for almost a year. Grace and I have been together for uh over six years. Would I use her toothbrush? No. Yeah, no, I'd be like, I'll just uh, switch with some water and that's yeah. good enough. I'll, I'll, I'll use oh the, the batteries died in my toothbrush. <laughs> I'll just use some mouthwash and a floss. I'll be I'll be good for a day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't need to. Yeah, need to or, or like take a bite off of a fork that has clearly been bit off of. Like, well, I, I have my own. No, I'll bring my own over there. I got no problem. Yeah. Use all my own stuff. But yeah, it's so I, I don't know what the disconnect is there, but there is one. Uh, Kramer runs into Newman on the street and Newman is covered in calamine lotion, which I thought was funny from all the flea bites. Uh, and he tries Newman's Mackinac peach and he can't taste anything. And at that point, Newman's like, if you can't taste them, why waste them? Why don't you just give them all to me? (laughs) Uh, Over at Viking, Elaine is shakily repeating basically word for word Kramer's description (laughs) of the manuscript. And the interviewer is surprisingly into it. Yeah, it's uh, it's going pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And so she goes all in and he's even more like as she continues with, you know, Kramer's second reading of it, like he's even more like, oh, wow. So it, it was a matter of attitude, not what blah, whatever she says. And Elaine's like, yes, yes. Wow. Like very surprised that this worked <laughs> out uh, with Mr. Mandel. Another name. We get another name. How about that? Uh, up at the plaza, everyone is passed out from excess except more who is watching Under Siege again, uh, which, have you ever seen Under Siege? I have not. Uh, it is, and I haven't seen many of them, but it is the best Steven Seagal movie. It is. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw it, like, 
just blown away. It's like seriously a great action movie. And mainly because, you know, it, kind of in the same way that Caligula was a, you know, a high uh, production value. They put a lot of work into a Steven Seagal movie, like more than they should have, mm-hmm. you know, like more than ever before. So with Steven Seagal with like Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey and and Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey will like they can choose scenery anyway, but they're doing it like nonstop on this movie. And Steven Seagal is kicking ass and it's just a great, great <laughs> flick. Um, so I can't blame Morty for wanting to check it out again because it's the kind of movie you want to watch over and over. And there's even a, a second Under Siege, but uh, it's not as good, of course. Uh, up at Monks or over at Monks, rather. George is finally his dream has come true. He is ensconced in velvet. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Jerry's, <laughs> that's exactly Jerry's reaction. And he's like, has she seen you like this? He's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, we just had sex. <laughs> and she just does not care. And George is like, I, my search is over. I found, I found the perfect person. <laughs> For him, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jerry has got his, his suitcase that George sees uh, because uh, Shelly kicked him out. And, and Jerry says, I guess I'm, I'm stuck with the, the velvet fog here. Refer- referring to George. Yeah. Great callback to the last episode. <laughs> uh, over at Viking, Mr. Mandel is going over the itemized bill for their two-bedroom suite at the Plaza, which included a three-hour massage, 12 movies, including several adult features, he says. Uh, shoe shines, snacks, plus damage to the room. I, I, I would like to know, between Morty... Helen, Leo, and the mother of two of the people I just named. Who in the hell was watching the adult features? It has to be Leo. It's gotta be. I guess, but like with his mother there? (laughs) Maybe she was asleep. You know, everybody was passed out at some point. Oh my God. I think after he got over his nut hangover, he, uh, you know, (laughs) had another nut in mind, I guess. Uh, (laughs) He got done eating some 80 cent nuts. Then he decided to have a 1999 nut. Hey yo! <laughs> and so essentially, the the job at Viking is blown because of this humongous bill for the hotel room. Over at Monks, George is finishing a Mackinac peach as he walks in to meet Paula, and she's like, "Oh, I love those." And he, George is like, "Well, too bad, it's all gone." But it's at that point, that Paula has picked up the peach pit and put it in her mouth to suck on, which makes George dry heave, and me too. Just just thinking about that. <laughs> which wow. Uh- Paula sucking on George's Mackinac peach pit sounds way dirtier than it actually is. <laughs> yes, yeah, it does. Uh, and out on the street, Kramer is licking an envelope. He can finally taste. He asks somebody what what day it is, and it's the last day for the Mackinac peaches <laughs> before they are not ripe anymore. Newman comes by. He happens to be eating the very last peach. It's at this point that Kramer releases a dog that he <laughs> seems to know. He didn't seem to know the guy he asked about what day it was yeah because you figure i mean i know it's tv and they had to get in and out of the conversation as quick as possible but the guy would have been like oh hey kramer how's it going oh it's the 15th or something you know but yeah but but then he calls the dog buford (laughs) uh and he releases the dog to chase newman who is a mailman uh ending the episode do you think buford is like a nickname for a bulldog because i mean that that kind of is a a nickname you'd make up if you didn't know the name of a bulldog or Uh, nothing nothing that i would uh remember or expect i guess um but like kramer just (laughs) lets somebody's dog loose yeah that guy's gonna be very worried and upset yeah that dog is probably going to get hit by a car yeah that's probably what's gonna happen i mean it's not like well, no, I, I was going to say, it's not like Newman can run very fast, but we do know <laughs> that Newman can A, run fast, and is B, very agile. Yeah, and he, you know, he plays tennis, which is, it requires a lot of cardio, so we know he can, he can run for a long time. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's going to run for a while, and that dog is, is pretty much done for. So yeah, R.I.P. This, this, R. Buford. This dog, Buford, is as good as lost, you know? Yeah, just the latest in the line of dogs that, the show has no regard for because didn't we drop a uh, air conditioner on a dog in an yeah, episode? Yeah. And also Jerry was, couldn't wait to get rid of Farfel when that situation was going on <laughs> and wasn't treating him very well. I wonder what Larry and Jerry have with dogs. Yeah. This, um, this episode even opens up with like him talking about animal rights people. And, um, I think they should be up in arms about Seinfeld's treatment of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we get one more little epilogue here at the plaza. Elaine walks in, I guess, just to witness the carnage of the room, just to see now that she's heard what it looks like. And it, it, the place is trash. Mm-hmm. And it's at that point that Leo saunters out of his room and stops when he sees Elaine and goes, 
Oh, they said they were sending an Asian woman over. Hey. Oh. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. And and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay. Well, uh, what did we have for homework this week? You know, I didn't I didn't take any notes in the middle of the episode, um, but I think I mentioned a couple of little things here and there. Maybe, like, double check on Potsy. Uh, what else was there? Um well, one of those little fact-checky things might pop up on the on the relist, and we'll see. All right. Well, for for cover art this week, uh, I had the idea of uh, Jerry just getting Newman to break. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I thought that was a very good visual with uh, with Wayne uh, Wayne. What's his name? Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. Yeah. Wayne Knight. Wayne, Wayne Newman. You know. Wayne Newman. Wayne Newman. <laughs> uh, anything else that you liked visually? I liked. I mean the shot of George holding up the doodle. I thought that was a good, cause it's right under his face. I, I thought when I saw that, that that would be a good, mm, good that, w- that would be a good cover art, especially because it is the doodle. That was a good one. Yep. So, but I will leave it to you. All right. Uh, so do we want to come up with a better description? We can try. So we had George is upset by a girlfriend's artistic rendering of him. Semicolon. Jerry's flea infested apartment forces his parents into Elaine's luxury hotel suite. I don't hate this. It covers everything. It's, it's it's close to perfect. It's long. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you want to tighten it up at all? I don't think we need to. I, 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 I like it. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it the way it is. If we had written one that long, I would want to. But because it's an official synopsis, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> uh, okay, so next week we've got season six, episode 20, The Fusilli. Jerry, am I pronouncing that right? Yes. Okay, the Fusilli Jerry, original air date, April 27th, 1995, three weeks after this episode. Uh, And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see a mechanic pal, parenthetical, Patrick Warburton, uses Jerry's romantic techniques on Elaine. This, I think, is going to be an amazing episode. I mean, not only because it introduces us to... The great David Putty, played by Patrick Warburton, who you you recognize that name, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh oh, I can't. I I'm, I'm so looking forward to to this episode. I think it's going to be a great one. Maybe I'll even star it. Maybe I'll get back on my stars. <laughs> Maybe we'll end up having a good episode in season six. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the second half anyway yeah for sure my god <laughs> all right so is that it that's it all right for no hugging no learning i'm tim murphy i'm ted hollowell be good 